everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd. Hope you're doing well, and it is time for another edition of the Needle Drop Podcast, where we go over some of the best and most important pieces of content that we've dropped over the past week or so. I apologize, we took a bit of a break on the podcast because I was out on a West Coast tour, but now it is back. And this week we are handing you a whole ton of reviews, reviews of the latest projects from rapper Rico Nasty, or her new collaborative effort with producer Kenny Beats, also the new Schoolboy Q LP, Crash Talk, the hip-hop and top dog entertainment fans will not want to miss that one. Also, I have some track reviews of the latest cuts from Tyler, the creator, Slipknot, Mac DeMarco, and Logic have new records out that I am not uh, all that crazy about. You'll hear my negative opinions on those. Uh, Gus Dapperton, as well, indie pop artist uh, whose debut full-length album has been getting quite a bit of buzz, but um, the fandom uh, that has been surrounding that record has not translated to me. And finally, an amazing amalgamation of, of hip-hop music, glitch music, sound collage, plunderphonics, experimental music, drone and ambient music. The new Slauson Malone album, A Quiet Farewell, is an amazing auditory experience. I'll be talking that record up too. So buckle in, get ready for a new episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Here we go. Ba-bam. Okay. And it's time for a review of the new collaborative Rico Nasty and Kenny Beats project, Anger Management. When it's come to the explosion of hyper-aggressive SoundCloud rap, distorted, bumping beats, screaming on top of them, few voices have stood out as boldly as Rico Nasty's. And I would say her uncompromising personality has the potential to make her bigger than the trend itself. I mean, she's already outlasting it at this point. And before this review, before this record, I already had this feeling that Rico Nasty at this point has nowhere to go but up. Even if her breakthrough project last year, Nasty, was a little one-dimensional, it was unique, it was aggressive, it was in your face, but there were still some aspects of it that felt like Rico was still just in the the middle of this period of evolution. And honestly, it wasn't really that long ago where Rico was auto-crooning over some very smooth, glitzy, and glamorous trap beats on her Sugar Trap 2 mixtape. The transition from this to singles like Trust Issues and Rage is actually incredible. And I think it'd be foolish to assume that this is just where Rico is going to stop because she's got a bit of popularity. So with Rico's future projects, I'm pretty excited to hear something with more variety and with her new project over here, bringing Kenny Beats on to basically take part in every track on this thing, given that he is such a talented producer, can only be a positive. However, anger management is hardly the sound of Rico building up or taking a huge next step, in my opinion. It feels more like a quick EP just meant to hold fans over for maybe something more substantive down the road. It's really hard to tell at this point. Given the unorthodoxy of the rap landscape that Rico Nasty comes from, compiled with the fact that streaming, in a lot of respects, has totally torn down the expectations of what a proper album length is at this point. Given Anger Management's nine tracks in 19 minutes, I can't also help but feel like there's an element of pressure for Rico Nasty to continue striking while the iron is hot, as she is thriving in a landscape of oversaturation. So as a result of its brevity, 
yeah, there's not a whole lot to anger management. I'll say there's definitely more emotional versatility to this project, as the track list front loads a ton of bangers on here, and then after a transitional sketch or interlude, the record starts delivering more cuts from Rico that are actually kind of introspective. The track Relative, the track Sellout, the track Again. And these are songs where Rico is a bit more honest about what drives her and what she hopes to get out of her music. How she sees power in the expression of anger. How she sees her art as an outlet and how she would like to use it to bolster herself up and help those who she loves around her. And there's also moments where she's kind of giving her audience tidbits of inspiration, admiring them for being focused and going through tough times with a brave face. It's certainly more tasteful and thoughtful than some of the more mellow cuts Rico has dropped on past albums, and reveals a side of her that we don't often see in this much depth on a project, although it, it, relatively this is a pretty short amount of songs. So even though we are getting a glimpse of this, it's almost barely a glimpse. It's kind of like a snapshot. Especially given the song Relative is one of the shortest and most low-impact songs on the entire project. Still, some of the harder-hitting cuts on this thing are pretty incredible. The opening track, Cold, is amazing. Rico is screaming her brains out on this blood-boiling refrain. None of these bitches cold as me! Rico's flow and her verses on this track sound absolutely manic, like she is in desperate need of an exorcism. Her screamed ad-libs throughout the song make me feel like I'm experiencing some kind of psychosis. Also, the instrumental on this thing is killer. The loads of distortion, the crushing bass hits, and the mostly buried skittering percussion. Then there's the track Cheat Code, where Bauer enters the fold on the production, and he seems to bring almost like an EDM vibe to the track. And along with Kenny's splashes of industrial music and horror movie soundtracks, as well as, like, punk rap. The distorted, relentless beat on this thing is hideous. It is ugly. I think in most contexts with most rappers, it would not sound very good, but Rico's incredibly nasty, raspy voice just slices right through it like a neon pink chainsaw. I'll say not a whole lot of the lyrics on this track are super intelligible, but it's really about the aggression and the vibe of it. And there's a pretty great buildup on the chorus, too. The song Big Titties, featuring Earth Gang, is absolutely hilarious and zany. I love the bassy, colorful beat on this one. Bauer is in the fold once again. The guest verses from Earth Gang on this cut are incredible, probably the best feature on this entire project. They have great chemistry with Rico here, and they're equally eccentric. Rap deliveries complement hers so well. Smooth flows, hilarious hook on this thing. Yeah, sure, maybe the lyrics are a little shallow, but I think that is easily made up for in just how ridiculous the track is. Now, there are a few head scratchers in the track list here, namely uh, the cut Hayden, which is literally just a redo of Jay-Z's Dirt Off Your Shoulder. And hey, love the track. I mean, I remember when it dropped. It was an incredible single. And there are some kind of subtle instrumental changes made to the beat as well. And I love Rico's themes on this track of independence and self-sufficiency. The song Mood, featuring Splurge, who I think I'm just hearing of for the first time on this track was kind of odd given that uh, Splurge's feature here is so awkward and mumbly and weak. It sort of reminds me of a, 
uh, a bad flow in a verse off of a recent little Yachty album. Also, the kind of plain, basic structure of this track isn't doing it many favors either. The chemistry level on this thing is super low. Uh, it's easily my least favorite on the entire album and, and really painfully forgettable. A track on a record that is so short that it can't really afford to have a dud on it. Still, I would say on average, in comparison with Nasty, anger management may be an improvement because there's very little on this project that uh, isn't worth listening to. But I feel like we've only gotten there by scaling the project back so far that we're just reducing our chances of getting a dud. Do I see Rico progressing on this record, even though it is short and has severely left me wanting more? I guess a bit, because it is kind of refreshing to hear moments like the closer where Rico does get a bit more personal. I also like the recurring themes of anger and dealing with your emotions on this record too. What you see on the outside versus what you actually feel on the inside. So there are a lot of great things about anger management, very good tracks on anger management. Rico continues to be one of the more bold voices in the current rap landscape. This is easily her most consistent project so far, but, 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 I do think its brevity is to its detriment. And as much as I do like some of the more aggressive tracks on here, I'm yet to really feel like Rico has truly topped some of her best past singles, such as Rage, for example. Still, though, feeling a strong 6 to a light 7 on Anger Management, transition into the next review. <sighs> and it's time for a review of the new Schoolboy Q album, Crash Talk. This is the newest full-length album from Top Dog Entertainment signee Schoolboy Q, easily the gruffest and most rugged artist on the label. He had a kind of interesting artistic trajectory up until this point with some early projects and mixtapes that didn't necessarily hit, but once Black Hippie, the collective he's a part of within Top Dog Entertainment, began getting more attention in hip-hop and the music world at large, his album Habits and Contradictions became kind of an entry point for a lot of music fans. A first introduction to Q, if you will. In my opinion, the album was a little underwhelming, but eventually Q built up from this to the fantastic record Oxymoron, which is easily one of the most cutting-edge mainstream rap records of this decade. The inventive flows and instrumentals, as well as the zany vocalizations that Q brings to the table on tracks like Los Awesome and Collard Greens, they are as bold today as they were five years ago. Records like this definitely definitely made it feel like we were in the midst of a bold new era for West Coast hip-hop. And for a lot of listeners, as did Q's follow-up a few years later, Blankface. Now, personally, this record did not click for me. I do not enjoy this album all that much, but I can say it's, it's admirably experimental, with a lot of vocal layers, totally out there features, as well as beats that are really psychedelic and wild. Blankface is trippy, it's surreal, it's nightmarish at points, and it's easily one of the weirdest albums to fall under the hardcore or gangster rap umbrellas this decade. Now again, not a huge fan of Blankface, but I can at least see the appeal of it. I can see why many people hold this album in high esteem. With Crash Talk, though, I feel like I'm at a total loss. I do not see what is so exciting about this record. And not even to insinuate that I'm seeing a whole lot of excitement around this album because I'm not. This thing is not nearly as catchy or as well-produced as Oxy and Blankface, I would actually take even quite a few instrumentals off of Habits and Contradictions over a lot of beats on this thing. And the beats on this record, quite a few of them sound really flat, aggressive, one-dimensional, sort of like the 
types of instrumentals that you might have caught on SoundCloud a few years ago, hearing some random rapper from Florida scream over it. Now, of course, that's not what Q is doing over these instrumentals. If he was, maybe that would be a bit more exciting. All I'm trying to say is that the instrumentals feel like just kind of dated at this point. Like his plan was originally for this record to pop in and ride this wave of SoundCloud rap that's almost starting to wash out now. So whatever hope this album had of dominating in this style and putting a unique spin on it is pretty much gone. Still, going in this direction does result in some serious bangers and highlights in the track list. We have Floating with 21 Savage, as well as 5200, and even the track Water, which miraculously features what I think is maybe the best little baby feature I've ever heard. But overall, these tracks are really aggressive, infectious, kind of materialistic bangers with a lot of attitude to spare. Generally, though, the recording and production aren't nearly as lush or creative as they were on Q's past two projects. And not that Q needed to drop another experimental album in order for it to be good, but Crash Talk is shockingly plain, and the songwriting on this thing is super hit or miss. Whether you're talking about a track like Num Num Juice, which has some catchy bars, some admirable refrains, a decent instrumental, but it's not built out to the point where it really makes any long-lasting impression. And when Q does manage to drop a track that's built out a bit more, it's an absolute flop, like Chopsticks with Travis Scott, which honestly just sounds like a really bad, watered-down Travis Scott leftover with one of his worst hooks to date. Chopsticks, chopsticks, chopsticks. The song Lies with Ty Dolla Sign and YG is another track that when it comes on, I'm scrambling to skip because the more I listen to it, the more the image of schoolboy and YG just whining about some random woman lying about them is seared into my brain, it's the corniest topic for a song. There's also the vapid, boring, tedious, and sleepy drunk, which feels like it's trying to create this sense of being inebriated like many great songs on Oxymoron did, but the sound of the instrumental and the effects on it are just way too thin to evoke much of anything. I feel pretty much the same way about other tracks on this record that feature similarly surreal and dreamy vibes, but just end up feeling like like a less immersive leftover from Blankface, like Black Folk as well as Dangerous featuring Kid Cudi. And it's unfortunate the sound of these tracks is just so lackluster because I, I like a lot of the personal reflections that Q displays in the lyrics on these tracks. These themes of addiction and the dangers of drug use, depression. The song Attention feels like I'm listening to Q in his current state of fame and success as if it is a fever dream or a nightmare. Now he does talk about some of the good things that have come along with this, like being friends with his favorite producer and getting compliments from rappers who have influenced him. But this story is also set within the context of all of the tough struggles Q had to face to get to this point, and also the incredibly dark and grimy beat that's hanging in the background. The track unfortunately fizzles out after a very awkward refrain, and overall it's a very strange ending to this album, which, as I reflect on it, doesn't really feel like it has much in the way of a flow, a theme, a concept, a narrative, a story, a buh. It's like a loose collection of very scant, very rough tracks that are super hit or miss. And given what else is out there right now, I can't really imagine listeners getting too excited over this record unless you're the type of person who's just super duper invested in the artistic trajectory of Q. If there's one thing I could give to this album, it's definitely the writing. I think Q does come through with some solid bars, one-liners, verses, when he is focusing on a topic or a concept that isn't stomach-churning. But even some of the flows that he decides to go with are kind of off, and his delivery seems a bit more understated than usual. His presentation and his performance on this record is nowhere near as out there and as just in-your-face as it's been on previous records 
records. And uh, honestly, I think that's a mark against this album. For the most part, this album just feels like Q is playing it super, super, super middle of the road. I'm feeling a light two decent five on this one. Hey, buddy. track reviews you see the record right next to my head over here tyler the creators igor i'm going to do a track review of a track from the album that has been released as a single review on the way this should hold you over also uh hoping not to spoil too much of the album for myself as uh, i do want to review the whole thing asap but uh, we're going to give a shot to the track earthquake we're going to see what the song has to offer what direction Tyler is going in on this track, and uh, uh, whether or not I get real excited down here in the loins area uh, by this track. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm being silly. Let's get into the track. Let's hear what it has to offer. Tyler, Igor, Earthquake, uh, ba-bam. Okay, so that was that. Um, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it, because I did. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, but I'm not also going to say that I wasn't weirded out because I kind of was. <laughs> now, it, it's it's hard to gauge by just this one single track, but I got to say, if you didn't tell me this was a Tyler the Creator song, I might not have guessed. His voice doesn't really come off as the most prominent on the entire song. I mean, clearly he's a little bit there on the back end solo, but if anything, uh, Dev Hines, aka Blood Orange, his voice is what truly stands out the most on this track. However, this track does not sound like your typical Blood Orange song or anything like that. Uh, if anything, this track really shows how far Tyler has come since the days of Goblin, because it's come full circle in a way where he's progressed at songwriting and rapping and singing and producing to the point where he can now regress a little bit and do it in a way where it comes off a little rough. It comes off a little amateurish, but you know he can do it better than this. And he's just kind of leaving it a little loose, leaving it a little messy for an artistic effect. I thought the inclusion of Playboy Cardi on the track was genius given the current state of hip hop and I thought his performance and input on the track generally was fun. I guess the one issue that you could say there is about the track is that as far as the lyrics and the theme and the topic go, it's uh, pretty on the surface. It's pretty one-dimensional. It's, it's very clearly a heartbroken song. Uh, you make my earthquake. I want you back. I need some confirmation. What's going on? Tyler's written songs before about love and heartbreak and attraction and so on and so forth, but I don't think he's ever done it as simply as he has here. And even though the intentions of the song may be super obvious, super plain, I do think there is something about the uh, kind of weird singing and the somewhat off-kilter production that... Um, I don't know, add some personality to that or the simplicity of the song takes the edge off of the overall weirdness of the instrumentation, depending on what angle you're looking at it from. It's funny because there are some aspects of the track that sounds like Tyler is sort of taking the piss and fooling around and being silly and being a little tongue in cheek. But underneath all of that attitude, it's kind of a genuinely sweet and catchy and attractive song. So yeah, I'm not sure if I have much more to say about this other than that. I think it's a likable track. I think it's a really enjoyable track and it's definitely got me uh, looking forward to hearing the rest of Igor. Seeing Tyler embrace once again these elements of soul and pop that he did on Flower Boy, but finding ways to make them sound a little 
mutated and subversive is incredibly interesting to me, and, and hopefully he does that more throughout the rest of this record. Those are my thoughts on the track. Loved it. Over here next to my head is another track review that you can check out. Hit that up or the link to subscribe to the channel. Anthony Fantano, Tyler the Creator. And it's time for a review, a track review of the brand new single from Iowa Metal Outfit, Slipknot. New album on the way, We Are Not Your Kind. New 14-track album. And uh, Unsainted is the name of the first single, the teaser track from this new record. As you guys may recall, was not really all that crazy for the last Slipknot album. Although, uh, I don't know, I, I think... Uh, I think um, Corey and the boys, they, they could pull through on another one because uh, the self-titled record is certainly fire. Iowa, in my opinion, is certainly fire as far as alternative and new metal goes. So uh, who knows? They might have another killer record in them. Let's give this one a shot. Slipknot, Unsainted, uh, ba-bam. So that song that I just heard, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was decent. It was okay. I mean, it was certainly better than a bulk of what was on the gray chapter uh, a few years ago. Really, that was that was back in 2014. So it's like five years ago at this point we had a Slipknot record. Um, but still, uh, certainly better than a lot of what was on that album. Uh, the production I think was a little heavier in comparison with what was on that record. As I thought, a bulk of the music on the gray chapter. Uh, as far as the recording goes, sounded kind of weak for Slipknot, a little watered down. This definitely had a bit more girth. Even though Slipknot are definitely back in their element on this new single, I feel like to get there, all we've really done is gone back to the most basic Slipknot formula, and we're just essentially painting by the numbers with the very quick, gruff riffs, the uh, soaring clean vocals on the chorus, Corey then going into, of course, that fusion of rapping and screaming that he typically does on the verses, sounding manic as hell. I would say the most refreshing thing on this entire track is really the very chaotic and noisy bridge, whose blast beats and guitar phrases sounded vaguely black metal inspired, but outside of that, uh, not a whole lot of anything new or exciting coming from Slipknot here. I feel like they've just met the bare minimum on this track, essentially. Even on the lyrical front, I'm not really getting a whole lot out of this track. The whole deal about finally holding on to letting go grammatically doesn't really make much sense, but I guess I can kind of get what Corey is is uh, trying to say there in terms of the contrast of holding on versus letting go and so on and so forth. But uh, still, it, it just seems like a really weak line. Beyond that, in a lot of verses, of course, you have a lot of uh, imagery of, of villains and religious iconography and lonerism and, and suffering and pain and, and weathering the storm and so on and so forth, which uh, lyrically have, have been themes that have come up throughout many a Slipknot song over the years. So, uh, Really, it's it's not like they're approaching anything uh, new lyrically either. I would say, uh, but hey, you know, if, if if their message is something that motivates you and gets you pumped up and gets you ready to just deal with all the crap the world is throwing at you, then you know, I, I guess it is what it is. You know, it's uh, this scratches that itch. This serves that purpose. Um, but uh, again, even though maybe 
this is like a slight return to form in terms of uh, quality and consistency for Slipknot. Uh, again, not anything uh, all that inventive or exciting. So, yeah. And I guess comparatively, this isn't really one of the best songs the band has written either. There's any number of tracks off of their debut, but not debut, the self-titled, I mean, as well as Iowa that just completely crushes this song in terms of catchiness, in terms of ferocity, in terms of quotable and instantaneously memorable lyrics. Also, in terms of Slipknot being as large a band they are and just hearing a wider variety of instrumentation and just all of the members involved. I mean, if that is the case on this new track, um, input from, uh, you know, members outside of sort of the core of vocals and guitars and drums uh, are not very audible and don't seem to have that much presence. So, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. It's an okay song. And it is time for a review of the new Mac DeMarco album. Here comes the cowboy. Wapa, wapa. Just in case you're out of the loop, just in case you've been living under a rock, here Comes the Cowboy is the latest full-length LP from Canadian native and one of the most popular singers-songwriters in the underground of music currently, Mr. Mac DeMarco. This is his first album since, I guess, ending his longtime partnership with Captured Tracks since this is being released on Mac's record label. And I was pretty excited to review this one, not only because of the creative upward trajectory that I saw Mac on, thanks to his solidly catchy Another One mini-album that dropped several years ago, and also, let's not forget the mature and personal direction that he took his songwriting in on 2017's This Old Dog. The fact that Mac is now independent is also pretty exciting, given rumors of creative frictions with his label previously. So maybe now that he's flying solo, we will finally hear the album that he's been dying to make. Also, the first single from this album, Nobody. Sure, it had some very obvious Lou Reed vibes, but it was a pretty fantastic tune. A beautiful ballad that found power in its well-written lyrics, in its subtlety, in its simplicity. And I think there are a few other tracks here that achieve that same goal. The song preoccupied with its lazy acoustic guitars, its gentle percussion, and the sound of birds tweeting in the background. It's like I'm just listening to Mac perform this song in the moment, organically, in the middle of nature. There's also the romantic and very synth-heavy Heart to Heart, whose chord progression and thuddy bass is bittersweet and cute. It's a song that's big on romance, but small on volume, and the swelling synth chords on the hook create just enough contrast for it to function. Mac really does try to get away with the bare minimum instrumentally on a lot of these tracks. He is purposefully being minimal here. Seeing Mac go in an even simpler direction isn't necessarily a bad thing, but geez, a majority of this record is just so lifeless. And it's not even that the vibe of this album is mellow, it's really that Mac is delivering some of his most one-dimensional songwriting yet. A lot of the writing on this project is painfully redundant and doesn't feature anywhere near as much personality as his previous material. In a way, you could say the opening track on this record sets the tone for the entire album in that it is Mac uh, lethargically playing these faux country guitar chords and just singing the same lyrics over them again and again and again for three minutes until it just fades out. And the obviously related Hey Cowgirl later on the album is almost as tedious. If Mac isn't taking the piss here, he's most certainly doing it on the song Choo Choo, which sounds like a, a bad Gorillaz ripoff, like a Gorillaz D-side or G-side or really just like 
Z-side. It's like this really awkward, absurd funk with chicka-chicka guitars and train whistles. The closing track on this thing is also completely thankless. Feels like Mac is just trying to kill more time for whatever reason. I guess with him doing this record independently, there's no one there to tell him, hey dude, you're just putting filler on this album. It's just filler. All Our Yesterdays and On the Square are okay tracks, but songwriting-wise, they just pretty much sound like Mac DeMarco by the numbers. It's like we've heard him write these songs before, but better. The track Finally Alone sort of picks up the pace in the first leg of the album with its bland disco rhythms, but outside of that vintage groove, there's not really a whole lot here that's all that novel or interesting. There's also the laughable Skyless Moon, which features some very awkward crooning from Mac DeMarco. It sounds like what you would get if you forced Mac and Tom York into a very horrible collaboration with its sour and sad guitar chords and terrible pacing. And I don't know, there's not much else here to cover. This is a very scant album that doesn't have a whole lot going for it. There's no real concept or aesthetic changes here for Mac DeMarco. All you could really say is that Again, he's going in a supremely repetitive and minimalist direction on this one, just trying to, I don't know, maybe embrace some slowcore or experimental singer-songwriter ideas. Maybe he's been listening to some Red House Painters or some Jim O'Rourke, I don't know. Whatever is inspiring this change of pace for Mac, it's, it's really not translating in his songs. As I think this thing is his worst album since blowing up and is devoid of anything interesting much of the time. I'm feeling a decent too strong three on this one. Transition into the next review. And it is time for a review of the new Logic album, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. This is the latest full-length LP from Maryland rapper Logic, which comes shortly after the release of quite possibly his worst project yet, Supermarket, a soundtrack to a now best-selling book of the same title. And the 13 songs on this record see Logic trying his hand at acoustic balladry, indie pop, alternative rock, all of his attempts of which turn out pretty awful. Oh yeah, bro, I'm a big Logic fan, but even that album to me, big cringe. So big cringe. Well, look, in my opinion, Logic has always been a rapper who has been punching under his weight. And I did see a lot of potential in his initial albums, in his breakthrough mixtapes, the playful bars, the speedy flows, and the incredible versatility. But that versatility later just evolved into Logic's lack of an overall voice, as he just needed to copycat one sound and idea and artist after another in order to pad his projects out to full album or mixtape length. Pretty much every project he's dropped up until this point has at least a handful of songs that ride um, the coattails of Drake or J. Cole or Kendrick. And there's even a track off this new record where he has a flow and an inflection that feels like he's doing his best JIT impression. Like, if all these artists stop putting out music tomorrow, what would Logic do? He would really have nowhere left to go, and yet he has amassed this audience that just seems addicted to his mediocrity. In a way, I guess you gotta give it to the guy, because he's supremely good at taking better hip-hop, pulling anything subversive out of it, and refining it down for audiences that don't have the framework to understand why he's at a far lower creative tier than his contemporaries who he blatantly rips off. This downward trajectory that Logic has been on since projects like The Incredible True Story, I thought was going to pick up after Supermarket. After all, how could he put out a worse album? And I guess in a way, Confessions does jump over the bar more. It, it's sort of just 
crawls over the bar. I guess the reason for that being the sound and the style of this record, with it just being a straightforward hip-hop album, is just more in Logic's wheelhouse. He's definitely more in his element here, but I'm still at a loss with this album, because as far as hip-hop records go, this is easily Logic's worst. His most uninspired, his most unimpressive so far. Multiple tracks on this album feature Logic endlessly complaining about how people online don't like him. It's essentially Russ 2.0. Also, quite a few bars on this album with Logic feeling insecure about being called gay over social media. When Logic isn't doing this, he's flexing and delivering some bland braggadocio without much in the way of wit or wordplay. Tracks like these also come along with the narrow-minded belief that Logic made it just because he tried harder and he did the work and meanwhile all the other artists out there and his haters are, are just lazy and they didn't, they didn't do what he did. Seems Logic thinks his success has nothing to do with his delivery of bland, inoffensive hip-hop for suburbanites who think caring about real rap means that you listen to someone who raps fast. Even if when they're rapping fast, they sound like crap, because their words bleed together to the point where you can't even really tell what they're saying. On top of that, on this very album, unironically, Logic pretty much says that he, he doesn't care about lyrics. He says it right here in these lyrics, on the track, Don't Be Afraid To Be Different. And honestly, I have to agree, there is nothing impressive about Logic's pen game on this record. In fact, I would say the lyrics on this album get downright awful when he's spitting about wanting to be bipolar because Kanye's bipolar, falsely thinking that maybe if, I guess, he had some sort of chemical imbalance, he'd be creative too. There's also the uh, the line on here about him having a biracial penis. There are quite a few bars on this thing I would much rather just like to forget as soon as possible. But to go back to this lyric where he's writing about not caring about lyrics, whatever spirit he's referring to feeling here in this couplet, I'm not feeling it. Not feeling it at all. I'm not against the idea of a rapper or an artist in any other genre making music just for the feeling of it over the lyricism, but uh, when you get down to brass tacks on certain tracks here, there's really nothing to feel because Logic picked generic instrumentals, totally half-assed the verses, half-assed the hooks, some of which are painfully repetitive or he just spends his time goofing off to the point where he sounds ridiculous. The song Icy, the song Cocaine, the song Keanu Reeves, which in no way lyrically does it reference back to Keanu Reeves in a witty or creative way to justify the title and the hook of the song. The song Limitless as well, and as I said earlier, when Logic isn't delivering these completely vapid, substanceless verses, he's just whining and crying about the things people say about him on the internet. The song Clickbait, the song Wannabe, these bitter, annoying, gross tracks that see Logic portraying himself as, you know, just like dunking on his haters and so on and so forth, but it's painfully apparent to anybody else listening outside that, wow, this like really gets to you, dude. I'm serious. Talk to someone who has some kind of emotional investment in you and unpack this stuff, because it's coming out in your music in not the most healthy way. And yet, through his lyrics, it's Logic who would like for us to believe that it's his haters who have the unhealthy obsession. And I know Logic has haters, but I mean, the dude's not that grating. He's not that controversial. He's not one of these 15 minutes of fame social media rappers who rode in on a wave of hate. And for whatever naysayers out there Logic does have, he has far, far, far more fans. It just seems like Logic doesn't have any perspective on this stuff, because in reality, 
his haters are pretty much doing what they've always done. They're just talking trash. But meanwhile, you're the one making yourself look ridiculous investing so much time into responding to them, which is okay to some degree. And I hate that I'm talking about this topic this much in a music review, but really like, Logic makes it difficult to get around because it's a prime focus to this album. Considering this, the album cover itself makes sense. When you look at Logic, skin melting, skeleton coming out, and he's holding a friggin' phone. The phone being the source of that hatred, the social media, the drama, the I mean, there are points on here where he brings up the biracial thing as if he's just trying to trigger those haters. Oh, they go crazy when he says he's biracial, so I'm gonna say it. Oh, the mad lad, he did it. I can't believe it. I guess what's even more disappointing than all of this that I've been talking about so far are the features on this record. There's a totally pointless Wiz Khalifa appearance on here where it's not even really Wiz's fault. Logic goes so friggin' hard on the flow and the tone of this song to the point where you know Wiz is coming up, but why would you put him on a track like this? You know he's just going to come onto the song rapping slow, sounding high out of his mind, that's what he does. If you have a stoner anthem or just kind of a chill laid back cut on your record, put him there. That makes sense. Gucci Mane seems to have showed up for the check, uh, really phoned it in on this one. Putting G-Eazy and Logic on a track together seems to be the musical equivalent of taking a slice of Wonder Bread putting another slice of Wonder Bread on top and just biting in. And Will Smith, surprisingly enough, turns up on the back end of this record with a cringy introduction referencing back to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme. As the verse progresses, he reminds us why his rap career is essentially over at this point. That Misfit shout-out, though. That Misfit shout-out. Good job, Jaden. Pep Pep is proud of you. Logic's own father appears at the very end of the song Bobby, where he just rants and raves about Logic's naysayers and his haters and so on and so forth. He literally brought his dad onto his record to stand up for him. One more thing I should mention while I'm talking about the features on this record is the Eminem appearance on the song Homicide, which was a teaser track to this album. And while I thought Eminem's performance on this cut was pretty entertaining, all I can really say about the song overall is that it turned out better than I thought it would have been, given the level of quality that Logic's and Eminem's music recently has, has been at. I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired. This was obnoxious. This was awful. And what's even more terrible is that it was unlikable. It was, it was sad. Because being likable and being that friendly, approachable, relatable kid who's kind of above it all, being that everyman that you wanted to root for, even if his music was just okay, that was what was essentially keeping me in Logic's corner up until this point. But now that that attitude's just gone now. He just seems way too focused and obsessed and butthurt over irrelevant crap, and I, I don't know what to say. All of his belly aching over the sliver of people who don't like him doesn't translate into anything compelling or worthwhile. And not to say that Logic can't be legitimately unhappy or depressed or stressed out over his career and the music industry and, and what people say about him. But honestly, throughout this entire record, there's nothing in the way of any profound observation or analysis of why things are the way they are and how it came to be this way. Logic's understanding and autopsy of all of this is all just very basic and surface level. The best tracks on this record are easily the first couple, the cut that features YBN Corday is pretty fantastic, as well as 
Uh, Corday proves himself to be uh, the best feature on the entire project, even though he does rap for a very short amount of time. And there are a few promising instrumentals on the record, but nothing that outshines the severe averageness of Logic's verses and his hooks. Logic's worst rap album, again, by a very large margin, in my opinion. I'm feeling a strong one to a light two on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Gus Dapperton album, Where Poly People Go to Read. This is the debut full-length album of New York songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Gus Dapperton, an individual whose quirky fashion sense seems to precede his musical talents, or at least that's how it seems to me. I feel like I've seen more pictures of this guy's outfits than I have actually heard viral songs off of his past couple of EPs. I may be wrong about that, but what what I'm pretty sure of is everything I've heard from Gus up until this point hasn't really left much of an impression on me, so, uh... But for a lot of acts starting out, the debut album ends up being a sink or swim moment, so if Gus's music was really going to define itself for me or impress me, I figured it would be here. However, I still managed to come away from this album pretty impressed. I'm not really seeing where musically Gus shines exactly. How does he stand out? What's his style? What's his specialty? The 10 songs on this record pretty much serve as a bland blend of jangle, indie, synth, and dream pop, with a somewhat hypnagogic veil over it calling back to the 1980s. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard, but it's certainly shoddy. The opening synth lines and groove on the track Roadhead are laughably awkward. It sounds like the backbeat to a lost so bad it's actually kind of good gem from the 1980s that would become a viral meme once somebody uploaded it to YouTube. Also, the bassline on the intro track of this record is the stiffest groove I think has been recorded this decade, and completely awful bass tone on this track too, and many of the other songs on this record too. It's so hollow. Not to single the bass out though, because the production across the entire album is pretty rough. The sequence drums all over this record are plain and lifeless. The guitars are splashy, heavy with reverb, but pretty much dime a dozen. The synths are generic as hell, and the vocals are occasionally strained to the point where they're a little grating, and they are super, super nasal. The instrumentals and the performances on this thing are rickety, they are messy, and not in the endearing way that many of the best music coming out of the lo-fi or bedroom pop scene is. In a world of Mac DeMarco, or MGMT's Little Dark Age, or Always, or Real Estate, or Ariel Pink, or George Clanton, or Wild Nothing, let's even throw Blood Orange in there for a good measure, as there are a few spots on here where Gus kind of dabbles in some alternative R&B. At a time when we have access to all of these things, what exactly is Gus doing in his music that makes it worth listening to over everything else. His tracks just read like a non-specific mix of all the most agreeable things to be popularized in the indie scene over the past 10 years. The track My Favorite Fish feels like a milder and more acoustic take on some of the sounds of indie R&B that came out of the self-titled Dirty Projectors record not too long ago. Maybe a splash of Jameson in there for good measure too. However, nowhere near as eclectic or as memorable as 
as those two artists by comparison, and I'm not even going to dive into the insanely insipid lyrics on this track too, though this is not the only point on the album where the lyrics come off really corny or unlikable. The track Nomadicon is a prime example of this, even in its attempts to be self-aware. I hate it that I hurt you just for fun. It tasted like the perfect medicine, because I'm elated over birds to make turn sneaky snake just for her. I didn't mean to take you for a spin, but I just needed an angel by my hip, because I'm completed when you bruise above. Abusive, I love the use of you. You know, everybody's capable of making awful decisions, and I feel like artists should be given the ability to explore those bad decisions and those regrets that they have in their music, but this doesn't even feel like an expression of that. It's more like just romanticization of just terrible behavior. And what is up with the screen vocals on the Fill Me Up anthem? They don't sound all that good. They're very grating, nor do they fit into the instrumental context of the song that Gus is creating, too. Is this supposed to be a rush of passion for the listener? Because it, it just sounds like subpar singing. I can surely give it to Gus that there are some songs on this record that carry a good tune. Coke and Botany, Eyes for Ellis, as well as the track World Class Cinema, which has a bunch of very clever film and television references throughout. But even in its best moments, the sound and performance on this album leaves a lot to be desired. Because nearly everything on this album, maybe with the exception of the very lush closing track here, feels like something that you should take back into the studio and smooth over in a professional grade session. So yes, again, this album very shoddy, very rough around the edge and very nondescript in the worst way possible. I'm feeling a decent too strong four on this one. Transition into the next review. Ah, and it's time for a review of the Slauson Malone album, A Quiet Farewell 2016 to 2018. This is the debut full-length solo album of Slauson Malone, aka Jasper Armstrong Marsalis, son of jazz musician Wynton Marsalis. Malone is also a member of Standing on the Corner, an experimental music collective based out of New York that you might have caught a feature credit from on Earl Sweatshirt's last full-length album, Some Rap Songs, which is something, honestly, I had forgotten about going into this album, and I had basically just tried it off of the generous buzz I had seen swirling around it online, and I'm very glad I did. This project of tracks recorded from 2016 to 2018 features a truly unique collision of sounds and influences. Obviously, jazz and hip-hop sits pretty firmly at the base of what Malone is doing on much of this record, not only given his previous output, especially with the Standing on the Corner Collective, but also his family background, but the 20 pieces throughout this record also feature elements of glitch and plunderphonics and sound collage, some of which has been a cornerstone of hip-hop for a very long time when you're talking about some of the most significant and cutting-edge producers and samplers in the genre, the Bomb Squad, Steinsky, Dust Brothers, DJ Shadow, but in comparison, A Quiet Farewell is very different from all of that, much more abstract and surreal. Partially what's here seems like the logical conclusion to the West Coast beat scene that was very much fostered by Flying Lotus's Brain Feeder Records, with of course a bit of Jay Dilla and and Mad Lib and Stone's throw tossed in for good measure. There are also elements of this project that very much remind me of weird Bandcamp beat tapes, as well as some Vaporwave with how some of the samples are stretched out 
chopped, repeated. There are some edits and sound palettes on this project that very much remind me of lo-fi music, of tape music. Some of the strange piano samples and instrumental manipulations throughout this record also read to me like an old Microphones album, or at least like the abstract hip-hop equivalent. I should probably also say if you're a huge fan of some of the hip-hop experimentation that used to go down on Anticon Records, you will most likely dig this too. It's a pretty unique and spectacular combination of sounds. Aesthetically, there's a lot here that also is pretty similar to Earl's Some Rap Songs last year, but executed in a wildly different fashion. As I said earlier, this project is 20 tracks and they all build up to 30 minutes or so in runtime, so a majority of the cuts here whiz by pretty quickly. And not to say their entrance or their exit at any point on this album is unimpressive, but the magic of this record can't really be boiled down to a handful of single tracks. Rather, all these small, short, collage-based cuts throughout this record build together into a larger, weirder collage that is ever-changing, moving from lo-fi haunting avant-soul jazz to slow-mo vapor rap where the rapper on the track has a very narrow low pass filter on his voice so it sounds like he's rapping on the other side of like a foot of concrete. Even though some of the instrumental and sonic changes within and between tracks can be kind of odd and jarring, it all flows together pretty nicely. It's like I'm constantly teleporting from one room to another, but it's all very cohesively happening within this Lynchian black lodge of sorts. Or like I'm endlessly flipping TV channels on a television that only features broadcasts from another dimension. At this point in the review, I would start pulling out certain tracks and saying, this song sounds like this, and this track does this, and this track features this. But as I said, there's not really a whole lot that can be gained by observing or explaining one, two, three, or four single tracks on this album. The watery guitars, incredibly wide, variety of beats, the tinny bass, the monotone rappers, the grimy horns and weird samples and interludes, they all melt into each other pretty effectively to create this very subtle but freakish vibe that is equal parts relaxing, introspective and personal, but also like out of body and transcendent. I know current day on the music market there is a lot of value put on music that just creates a vibe, is a little wavy, trippy trap music, alternative R&B, just playlists that create a nice, pleasant sensation. When I'm trying to reach that wavelength, this is a record I would much rather do that with. Because while I can put this record on and kind of lay back and chill and not have to dive too deeply into any one thing happening because nothing lasts all that long anyway, this project does stay consistently stimulating and intriguing and beautiful. It's ear candy for those who want to hang out in the candy aisle where only the weird candies are, like mambas and uh, carob raisins and popcorn jelly bellies and pickled flavored mints. My biggest nitpick on this record is of the elements that are a bit more obvious and accessible in the soul and the hip-hop regions of the album. They do come off a bit derivative and are obviously inspired by the likes of Odd Future. Also, some of the guest features on this record, calling them features is kind of generous in my opinion, especially since many of their voices are sort of treated just like another piece of sound or instrumentation or a sample on any given track here. I would love to hear a project like this in the future where maybe some of the singers and rappers appearing on it are a bit more of a showstopper, more interesting. But still, As Is, A Quiet Farewell is a pretty fantastic and adventurous listen. I would even argue inventive in its combination of sounds and influences and how it 
it executes them. I'm definitely in love with this record. If you are a more adventurous listener who wants to hear the current underground of hip-hop music fed through the most abstract meat grinder, then give this thing a shot. I'm feeling a decent to strong eight on this. I appreciate you sticking around and listening to the end. I, I, I know it's very good. Uh, but hey, if you feel that way, if you, fe- if you agree with me, please uh, take that energy, that positive energy, and write a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're, you're listening to it on. Give a rating. Make sure to subscribe and listen to the next episode. Also, hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash the needle drop, afantano on Instagram, youtube.com slash the needle drop, or slash fantano. Don't miss a single piece of content. Also, theneedledrop.com as well. And I think we will see you guys in the next episode. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Outside of uh, Jonah assembled this episode just as well as he does every episode, fantastically. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's it, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. You're the best, you're the best, you're the best. Anthony Fantano, Needle Drop Podcast uh, forever. <laughs>